This podcast is brought to you by Universal Audio, a pioneer in audio recording for more than 50 years. UA faithfully crafts classic analog recording hardware like the LA-2A and 1176 and is committed to creating new digital recording tools with the sound and spirit of vintage analog technology. Check out their line of Apollo audio interfaces, UAD plugins, and more at uaudio.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. How does a Memphis-born team become an intern and eventually chief engineer at Sun Studio? How does the same guy go on to record Jason Isbell, Margot Price, Chris Isaac, Drive-By Truckers, The Rival Sons, and Chris Christopherson, as well as win a Grammy? And how the heck did he follow in Sam Phillips' legendary footsteps to end up recording at Sam Phillips Recording Service and mixing Elvis Records? How did he end up working on amazing upcoming releases, including albums by Emily Barker, Sean Rowe, Patrick Sweeney, and Margot Price's follow-up to Midwest Farmer's Daughter? We'll find out in this interview with the affable Matt Ross Spang. Enjoy. This audio recording was not originally tracked with the intent of using for a podcast. It was recorded solely for transcription for our print interview. Please forgive any balance issues, background sounds, or lack of clarity. Enjoy. So, from a pretty young age, you got excited about studios? And... Yeah, I recorded when I, at some when I was 14. I got a two-hour gift certificate for my birthday. <laughs> and we, did, we it was awful. I mean, what we did was awful, but <laughs> I love playing guitar. I just play guitar every day. Yeah. And... I didn't really write or nothing, and we didn't really play out live. The goal was just to be cool to get in the studio. Yeah. What, it didn't matter what studio, it was just the studio. Yeah. You know? And when I got in the sun, we couldn't go till 6 o'clock at night, you know, and I remember it was raining, and um, the engineer was James Lott, who yeah. later I, lo- I interned from, but yeah. he was just a character, and he just treated us like <laughs> like we deserved to be there when we totally didn't. Really? And, and just a great guy, you know, yeah. and... Uh, and just, but the way he mixed, and he had the big board, you know, it was a huge board, and all these things, and he started adding reverb and delays. Yeah. And I was like just transfixed at that point. <laughs> I think deep down I knew I'd never be like a great guitar player, nor did I really. I love playing guitar, but I'm not like a noodler or anything. I just like yeah. being a good rhythm guy or something. Right, right. And I toured with the bands for a while. While I started entering the studio, and I realized I don't really want to be on the road. I'm kind of a homebody. Yeah. And the studio is so much of like a home, you know, yeah. for the engineers. You're so. in there. You're inside. So that quickly kind of like, I I, I say quickly, but, you know, it's, I'm, I'm very lucky, I feel like, to be that young to figure out exactly what I want to do, and I got to just start doing it and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I started at Sun at, at 16, 16 interning, and doing tours during the day. So. Yeah. Oh, so you were one of the tour guides? I started as a tour guide, yeah, yeah. and intern basically about the same time. Yeah. And then I became, the, I became a manager for the stu- tour side, and I, and I became the chief engineer after um, probably f- five or six years of bring assistant uh, to intern to assistant to kind of second engineer yeah yeah. and then he left and i became the main engineer wow 
that's pretty yeah wow that's pretty wild <laughs> so the, the gear that was in there though like when you started was not not even anything like the original no equipment. it you know so sam left sam was only at sun for nine years and, right and he left and built this beautiful place and uh, and technology changed so much just like it does now from 51 yeah. to 59 i mean they went from no tape to three track to <laughs> you know no, never having a recording console from using broadcast stuff to yeah. But anyway, so uh, Sun reopened in the 80s. It was empty for a while. And they had a lot of 80s kind of equipment. It looked like um, an 80s kind of home studio. It was a really big Soundcraft board. Mm -hmm. We used uh, Cakewalk Audio instead of Sonar. Wow. And there's a big two-inch machine that was basically an uh, ashtray, um, <laughs> a nicotine collector. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and not a lot of great mics, but um, we had a great room. And I, I didn't know anything about gear. And I'm, I've, I feel very fortunate to learn on something like I mean, I remember the console had so many issues. Yeah. That you couldn't use more than 12 channels because 12 channels didn't work, you know. Yeah. And, oh, man. and stuff, you know, just you had to work harder. And, and uh, I, I remember the first time I worked, it was probably 10 years before I worked on a, used a U47 or a, yeah. you know, some of these bigger pieces of gear. But it, um, but so I, yeah, it didn't have any of the original yeah. kind of stuff. So people in the in the usage of the studio is kind of unique. In that during the day, it was always a tour, yeah. tour stuff, and then after six, people could have these. How like how late how late did these kind of sessions go? Uh, it depends, you know. So a lot of times it was by the hours, like a two hour limit. So some people just come in and do two hours. Some yeah. people would I usually go, you know. And as an engineer, you get there early. You don't get out till. The session could finish at midnight, but then yeah. you're often there till two. And yeah. and I was so, when I was that young, James, like I said, he was, you know, when you're intern under someone, not only is he your friend, mm -hmm. he's kind of like a mentor, a hero, a, a boss, a dad, yeah. all these things kind of rolled into one. And he's a phenomenal guitar player. And I would just learn guitar licks from him because <laughs> he could play any style. He was a great session guy. He would yeah. tell me stories. And I just soaked it. I didn't never want to leave. And I had to go home because I had high school the next day, and my parents would kill me if I didn't get home at a certain time. But um, <laughs> but you but sessions couldn't start till about six thirty, and you couldn't set up beforehand. They could drop right. some stuff off, but but I really enjoyed part of that because I kind of had culture shock going to Nashville or other places. And wait, we're supposed to set up the day before, and then yeah. and then the band, but the band doesn't come, and we're supposed to we're, we're supposed to get a sound check somehow, and then or the drummer comes at. 10 and the bass player comes at two and yeah because i loved it son it's one room we all sound check together like i need to hear everybody together right and that doesn't but it doesn't matter if you're in a booth or not you still got to hear how the drums play off the bass and so i enjoyed that and it made me really fast we had to be cutting because you felt right. like you're on there they're paying for this we better be cutting by 7 15 or yeah they might be Man. pissed so <laughs> and you had to tear down every night right so, so most of this were most of the sessions just kind of like uh uh, for fan-based kind of reasons there? You get a lot of that. Yeah. You, everyone from all over wants to record at Sun, yeah. whether it's like um, just a souvenir or they're actually making a rec record right. or something. But, I, you know, Memphis in general is that place that I think people are like, they're going to do the one funky track on the record. We're going to go to Memphis. We'll just do that one funky track. And yeah. it ends up being the best track on the record. It's like, yeah, well, come do the whole album on the Go, go do, do the whole album. But, but yeah, Sun wasn't a lot of like week bookings or nothing. I, yeah. I tried to really, when I became head engineer, I left the hour, hourly rate kind of high. But I, because oftentimes people just want to do two hours. You can't really get much done in two hours. Oh. So 
I tried to make it like cheaper for the day or in cheap, way cheaper for three days and way cheaper for a week. Because oh, right. I'd rather have those people in that we're going to spend time and get things done yeah. right than rush for yeah. two hours. But it did help me get really fast, I feel like. <laughs> and, yeah. and getting people from all over. And I think and we've, we hit on this at Arden, but getting people yeah. in all different talent levels. Yeah. It really, you and, and, and coming to a place that's their dream to record, coming to a historic place where they're already nervous, you have to really be good at calming people down, at welcoming them, and at being patient. And I get people from Japan who can't speak English. They want to record here, and they want to hire session musicians. So you got to work that out and then try and figure <laughs> out what they want to do, and do you like the take, and, you oh, know. And so, so all that, I think, really helped me later on to not have a... Uh, ego or uh, uh, not be upset about you know if someone's not that good I don't get upset right. or anything you know because right. I've done the worst there is to do and and I and I, as long as they're happy that's yeah. part of the job you know yeah we so. always figured there were certain sessions there that were just like just for them to take home and, yeah and go I did it I went there yeah and they had the best time and then they send yeah. you Christmas gifts or cards or oh, you know what I mean like it's yeah. just a, it's a special moment yeah tonight. yeah so yeah. There's no reason to feel uh, like you're too good to do that, I think, you know. It's yeah, like, yeah. Although I, I still feel like that sometimes. <laughs> when, when, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the days get longer and longer. Yeah. Um, so when you did something that was like a longer booking, like several days or such, how did you work with like setting up, tearing down and, and yeah, things like that? you just really push stuff to the side. I would take all the microphones down because... There are tourists in there, and believe it or not, people will steal shit. Yeah. I remember when I first started there, we had SM81s, and about six months into me working there, we no longer had SM81s because someone just tagged them. Yeah, wow. it's you know, and obviously capos and stuff go, but <laughs> people just pack pack up their stuff, push it to the side. I could leave some of the stands around the drums in the area, but oftentimes when you know two hundred people have been through there, you want to just move them back. You don't trust yeah. where they are. Yeah, yeah. But nah. you know, the one thing I do like about that is. No matter what it is, whether even when I'm mix, if you're mixing in the box and you know it's just like it was, the plug-in yeah. sounds just like it did yesterday. <laughs> it never sounds exactly like the moment you just cut it. So yeah. playback is always what headspace are you in, and it never sounds yeah. exactly like it did. So the one thing I liked about resetting up every night was it got you back into the music. You 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 remove the mics, you like question what you did, you had an idea, you moved them back, you right. run back and the faders were all the same but you still kind of un you know muted stuff and felt like you got awesome. back into the yeah. like the comfort of starting a tracking session or something. Man. I don't know how to explain it, but it was yeah. it really helped and sometimes you beat it the next day instead of just leaving mm -hmm. it and yeah. saying, No, we had it. We don't we're not I'm never satisfied. I feel like every session I could get better. Me too, yeah. Know, so. And and I think sometimes when it's like day six of a session or something, you kind of get tunnel vision. Yeah, you know, like yeah. when you're in mixing yeah. and, and someone says, uh, I'd like to go do a shaker, and you almost want to go, no, we're mixed. I'm yeah. set up for mixing. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, that's not the answer. The answer is, of course, yeah. let's go do it. But I feel like that sometimes with tracking where you, you've committed this drum sound on like two or three songs, so there's something that don't change it. But then yeah. the other side of you is like, Go make it better or something. Yeah. So I liked that aspect of tearing down and yeah. and maybe and you know I don't know about you but I go home and think about the session at night and I'll dream of I might have a dream or I wake up and go what if I put a SM7 on it? I totally had that. I walk in the next day and I got I'd, I'd fallen asleep. I'll think about something. Yeah, yeah. And if I can remember it, it's always like a little production and, idea. And something. when you got to reset up, it's easier to just to change it out than to say yeah. 
hey, let's stop. Let's pause the song for a minute. I want right. to try something. So uh, yeah, I did. There's good and bads to it, but I try and see the positive and everything. And, that, and that's one of the things I. Yeah. Although you know, part of it is when you have uh, when you know there's things that are are negatives to other people in the studio. Like you know, someone may worry that you don't have an SSL or something or <laughs> or a certain amount yeah. of Pro Tools. You find ways to like. Well, you know, I, here's the good in what I have. You know, you, yeah. you've, you, and so I got good about people calling the sun and saying, like, well, that's kind of a bummer. we got to tear down every night. And I go, well, it's actually, it's kind of cool because you get, like, we beat it every day. We get yeah. better every day. Yeah. And so I got good at, like, kind of selling the, <laughs> the what some people call the negatives about right. it. So right. That could just be my sales pitch. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> was anyone ever, like, like shutting the studio down? Like, is there any, like, to do day after day and just be in there? Were you... No, I mean, like, we did a T-Bone Burnett record with John Mellencamp, and I remember I went right. to the owner, and I said, they, you know, they want to book three days, and this is the biggest producer, especially, you know, at that yeah. time, and this is one of the biggest artists, and, well, you know, they still have to start at six, you know, it was like, it wasn't, I think oh. Chris Isaac, we, we, we're, it was in the winter time where it's a little bit slower, and yeah. the owner, John, let us start at five. <laughs> you know, five minutes. But, nine. I mean, hundreds of people go through there. I, I saw, yeah. I was watching a tour from the, control room yeah which is with alana out there alana yeah she's getting, great getting everybody excited yeah she whoops them up yeah and you know when i started there we'd maybe especially in the winter you get five or six people a day yeah. and nowadays it's kind of non-stop all the time which is great to see that yeah it's young people caring about you know that kind of music and stuff and that right. kind of history and, right. and stuff so it's great to see but yeah they they get so many people through there it's uh Crazy. Kind of, you know. They were sitting at the drums and the piano and moving yeah. mics around. Oh God, it drives me nuts. I would, see, that's a, I would take that stuff out all the time and leave the B three lid closed. And, you know, but you hear, you know, you you just get your drums tuned or your piano oh, tuned. No. The piano would never stay in tune because you have to keep it cool in there for fifty people every ten minutes, right. and then they leave, and it would, you know, get really cold, cold and then it and would. So the piano would never stay in tune. Oh God, it was awful. <laughs> so so along the way, did you start replacing some of the gear? Yeah, the well, room? so a lot of the stuff was. You're gonna laugh at this. A lot of stuff was in museum cases. Like there was two Ampex 350s in the museum case, just on oh, display upstairs. There was yeah. a there was an RCA 44 in the display case. There was a. Altec 639 in the display case. Were these I'm, actual ones that have been downstairs? No. Uh, well, same. they've been, yeah, just from some, maybe sometime they had stopped working and they just threw yeah. them up in the case. But yeah. And I remember going through some of the old shelves, and it's not a big building, but yeah. I went through some of the, the shelves cleaning up one day, as you do as an assistant, and there was a, a drawer of two RCA 77s, <laughs> an old, two old Neumann U87s, an old 414, uh, some crazy cool mics, and they had all. And these were not things that Sam left behind because when he, he yeah, he put everything over here. Yeah, just sometime in the eighties yeah. or nineties, maybe they stopped working or they got put in. The guys just never started using them again. So I oh pull them God. out. And I went to the engineer like, hey. <laughs> "What about these?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, I remember those." And I asked the owner, I asked the owner if we could get the RCA's re ribboned and the you know things checked and yeah. got back and we started using those. And I then I kind of like, "Can we pull some of these Ampexes out?" And we started using those and. And then when I became the head engineer, I told them about my idea of I want to have the same kind of equipment Sam had, but then also have a different kind of setup. And I, I took them, yeah. I showed them Ardent and some other studios because they're not studio owners. Right. Really. I mean, they own a studio, yeah. but they don't they don't know <laughs> they, about they recording own, spaces. They so. own a landmark and a tourist attraction. Yeah, and when you see like, <laughs> you know, when someone sees a forty foot sound, a twelve foot soundcraft or something, yeah. it to them, and then you want to go to a 
you know, a four-foot neve or whatever. They, to them, they're like, what? You want to do what? Yeah, yeah. You know, but I kind of explain to them and, you know, like, this is what part of what brings people in and it has a yeah. sound difference and blah, blah. And so they were very great about I worked up a budget and I also put a lot of my money into the original. I said, I'm going to buy the original RCA stuff because if I were to ever leave or die or something, yeah. the next guy probably doesn't want to record four mics live to mono. So you don't need to yeah. do that necessarily, but you need to have a Pro Tools rig and you need to have a... Right. So we ended up buying a cool little Studer desk that I loved. I, I missed that desk. Yeah. And I bought some of the old RCA stuff and yeah. and we kind of have a amalgamation of the two. So. Wow. And got tape machines working again. Yeah. So were like you doing that. some sessions just live to, to one track? Yeah, I did a lot of stuff live to mono like Sam yeah. did, and, and a lot of stuff live to two track. Right. And uh, it was a lot of fun, man. It it uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And I think the band does too, because it puts this extra little bit of pressure on. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and to be in there with no headphones and you cut it and you look back and I give you a thumbs or something, we roll it back and play it back, and yeah. there it is. Yeah. It's pretty fun, you know. Oh, I know. So. Were you doing that to tape? Yeah, I had a yeah. Mono Ampex 350, and then we had a mm -hmm. Studer A80 RC oh, yeah. that we did a lot of. I did a Dale Watson's, we did a 7-inch, in Johnny yeah. Cash style, it's like four songs on each side. Oh, yeah. Jeff yeah. had to knock it. He called me like, <laughs> to get this on 7-inch, I got to, it's only six minutes, but I got to knock it down like 20 dB. <laughs> I said, call Dale, and Dale's like, do it. So it's a real, real quiet seven inch, but it's yeah. awesome. But we did it all live to two track. Yeah. And he met the band that night. They learned the song that night. Nice. It was a blast. So. Were you arranging players on some sessions then too? A lot, they, a lot of, to bring in. Yeah, a lot of times they would get yeah. a, they need an upright bass player because they come from yeah. England or something. Right. And I got to play. I'm a such a fan of Scotty Moore and those guys. Yeah. That. I would never call myself a session guitar player, but if you need to, someone to do that's right, mom or some rockabilly, <laughs> that's like my one thing I've, yeah. I can do. And so it would be fun to hit record and go out there and we would all do it together, you know? That's awesome. And so that was fun. Yeah. So. What was your eventual path there? I mean. Well, I've been there for 11 years. Yeah. Wow. I worked my way up to the manager. I worked my, I've been the chief engineer for about five and I loved it there. I mean, it was a great job and. I mean, you don't have any problems booking Sun. I mean, I remember the last whole year I was there. Yeah. I it was like three hundred and thirty some odd days, if I remember. And then I the 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 week the time I had off, I went to Canada to make a record with this band called the Sheepdogs. Because I, I love to work. If I'm not in the yeah. studio, I kind of freak yeah. out. And um, and I love so I loved it there. But I went and did a. I tell this to people too that everything's an audition. But I got a call out of nowhere from this guy Dave Cobb, this producer, mm -hmm. and he said, will you come down to Fame and engineer this Anderson East kid for me for a day? And he gave me kind of the heads up on Fame. At that time, needed a lot of work. And yeah. he had heard from a mutual friend of ours, Mark Neal, that I'm very patient and I'm used to like stuff not working. <laughs> and I don't, get, I, don't get, I don't get flustered and angry and throw things and but you know shut down or something. It's honestly something you don't hear someone, is their, their list of qualifications. Yeah. It's not something you usually hear. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, and fame, I think, is, is in a little bit better shape. Oh, right yeah, now, it's but, in great shape. I've just it, it did something in there. be known as, like, it was just kind of let sit. You yeah, know, which, uh, and I, you know, I yeah. completely understand, and it's amazing now. Yeah. And it, it, it was amazing right. then. When I went down there, it sounded incredible, and they've yeah. got the amazing instruments and the mm. microphones yeah. and stuff. It was just the console and patch bay and just little things like that. But he called and said he liked to hear a lot of stuff I did, and he really liked it and asked if I wow. could come do this thing. So I go down yeah. there. I meet him. I've kind of I met him once before at a seventy nine thing briefly, yeah. but when I meet him. I set up. We get sounds, and about an hour in, he goes, 
this sounds incredible. And I'm going, yeah, it's fame. It's Rick Hall's U87. I don't need, you know, like, this is incredible. And I'm yeah. loving it too. And he goes, you want to do the next Jason Isbell record with me? And I said, well, yeah. Sure. But then you know how, how many times have you heard, you want to do this record with me and nothing ever happens. So How many records that I have done? More records that I haven't done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I drove home that night thinking, like, that'd be really cool. We'll see if it happens. Yeah. And he called about two days later and said, it's, you know, it's, uh, I think we did the thing in January. He's like, it's it's all month of March. It's at Sand Emporium wow. in Nashville. And I went to the owners at Sun. I said, I, I this Jason Isbell record is huge. I got to do it, but I'm be gone a month. Yeah. And, they, and they wouldn't let me, they, they wouldn't let their man, obviously their manager, their salary engineer be gone for a month yeah. in their studio, even though I was I had a replacement and stuff. And it was a little weird. And I, I kind of went back and I said one more time, like, it's a really big deal. Like, this will yeah. be a big record and it'll help bring people to Sun, believe it or not. Because yeah. if, if I get known as a better engineer, you know, whatever, it'll... Right. I mean, because Sun's... I mean, I'm sure James felt this too. It, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a nice little job, but it's kind of a, a, a cul-de-sac. Yeah, it is. You know, it is because you, you're not really gonna generally have time to really work on, on full albums or. Yeah, and I know. saw that with James, and also yeah. because of the tourist thing, you know, you're always the 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 studio is the redheaded stepchild in a sense of yeah, uh, yeah. The, the tour is where it makes the money, where it gets all the people in. Yeah. So the studio takes second place although in my heart it's the first place because without the studio without the soul of it there's nothing yeah. so and i'd watch james kind of you know spend 20 30 years there and yeah. not necessarily be happier so yeah. that all weighed in my mind and i've been thinking about leaving for, I've, I've been thinking about for a while needing to make a jump because you know we've known each other for years at these mm -hmm. panels and i'm always known as the sun guy and i just kind of <laughs> be known as matt as opposed to the sun guy and I wanted yeah. to work in the other rooms. It's one It's one thing to work in the same room every day with the same microphones. Anybody yeah. can be good at that. Yeah. You know? But I want to know, am I good elsewhere? Can I make things elsewhere that sound good? And I wanted to... Sam Phillips said, if you're not doing anything different, you're not doing anything <laughs> at all. I remember that And quote. that really... Yeah. I don't want to be sitting there trying to recreate the same thing. I want to be able to... Yeah. Do all, so all this played into it, and I knew if I didn't do that record, I would regret it forever. Yeah, So. It was kind of the easiest decision and the hardest decision. In about five minutes, I decided I got to leave, even though, yeah. you know, so I went and told them, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I'll be leaving in two months. I'm going to do this record. And everyone kind of thought I was crazy. And yeah. I think, and I left and did the record. And it, ever since then, and it helped, it helped because I did that record and this girl I produced, Margo Price, her record, right. which I did like two years before that. Right. Came out then, so it was a good one-two punch to get into the. Yeah, because that record took a while. Margot Price's record took quite a while. Took a while for it to come out, out and. Yeah. Um, but so that so I went independent, and I only had one record booked. <laughs> wow. But after then, I stayed. Dave booked me for like twenty more albums, and. So Dave really like you, and you started working pretty good as a team. Yeah, yeah, we we've worked very well together, yeah. and uh, you know I think too a great thing about me going independent was, I felt like I was getting a little lazy at Sun. In the sense that the phone was always going to ring, there's always going to be email booking, so I didn't have to worry about like feeding the feeding myself or something. Yeah. But at the same time, every person I read about, and I talked to Jeff Powell, who went independent from Ardent at a great time and stuff, and you know, there's something to said about you know the going out there and fighting for gigs and calling people and getting those kind of gigs yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And that was one of the, and we talked about this at the panel, uh, the, your panel, but yeah. it was one of the best things I ever did because it forced me to get up and, you know, make calls and get out there more and 
not let things just come to me. And uh, I, I still feel that way about fighting for that stuff. And I thought about, not to go back to Sam, but Sam, and you know this, yeah. from the, especially from the book, but he was at WREC, he was recording Big Band. He mm-hmm. had this prestigious job, and he had a two, wi- two kids, a wife, and a definite aunt he was providing for. Yeah. And he leaves it and starts a one-man, the first studio in Memphis to record black artists in 1950 when no one bought black records, you know. And, uh, yeah. and he didn't make any money, but he yeah. made the jump, and without him making that jump... No, and I'm not calling myself Sam Phillips because that's not happening here. But uh, <laughs> but I just mean, uh, he, but, you know, taking that leap. You, you got to make a leap of faith if you care yeah. about it. And I, that's all I want to yeah. do is record and produce yeah. and stuff. So I know the feeling. I know you know. So yeah. So to me, it was like it was a hard decision, yeah. but it was also a no-brainer, really. Yeah. So what kind of places in that time frame did you do with uh, work with Dave? Well, you know, it's uh, it's funny because I called Jeff one day. We talk a lot, and I was going, "Man, I have the keys to." Sam Phillips, Sun Studio, and RCAA right now. And that's a weird feeling. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've been very lucky. I, I I wrote down all the studios I got to work at, and it was like fame. It was all these classic studios. And it's rare for me to go into a modern... I can't remember last time I worked at an SSL you know, yeah. or something. I've only been in yeah. like funky old studios. but That's funny. Um, <laughs> Dave and I have done... We probably did about... I'd say 20 records now at this point since Jeez. the Isbell record. So in a year, year and a half or so, we've probably done 20 records. And he's done a lot of records with other people yeah. in that time. And I've done, I've been, I've been producing a lot and doing other yeah. records too. So Man. it's a, uh, we like to work quick. So like I, you know, we usually do a record in seven to 12 days. Yeah. You know, Isbell will be a month. Some people might be more, but yeah. Um, rather. What's a month long record quick. like when you're, when you're, in, you're not even at home? Uh, it's interesting. I, the, 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 um, you know, you're in the studio so much, even when I'm, when I wake up, I don't do, I, I maybe take a walk if I'm at home, I walk the dog, but it's usually, I get to the studio pretty early and just, yeah. it's just nice to be there yeah. and turn stuff on and maybe check emails or something make and the coffee. make the coffee, <laughs> all that stuff. And then I like, I don't like to get there right when the band's getting there. I like to yeah. be there and be relaxed and doing things and they come in so just a lot of that really and I, I've yeah. I, 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 all my friends in Nashville I've, I've been going up there a lot but all my friends are some of the old artists and songwriters and session guys so yeah. they don't you know I'll get up early and we'll watch uh, some you know old western or something and <laughs> so or hang out with them at night or something yeah. so, and just try and soak up more info learn things <laughs> yeah it's kind of incredible you know? yeah it's all books and pictures and movies and yeah and interviews yeah. like interviews yeah interviews what are those <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean like it's just a treat of my life to meet and hang out with people like kyle lenning and stuff yeah like that too. yeah you're like oh shit. you know i mean that's where i found out whether i always wondered why the fuck waylon jennings would use a flanger yeah you know yeah his, his, his guitars and Kyle. I heard that Glenn yeah. Johns gave him the phaser or something. Is like that what it was? But I don't know oh, if that yeah. was true or not. That's but funny. I've been getting into him a lot lately. Glenn. Those records are uh, well, always been Glenn, but Waylon stuff. Oh, Waylon stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. And I just read that yeah. I've read this outlaw book, learning, and yeah. Uh, yeah. it said Cowboy Jack Clement did. Are you sure Hank done it this way? He mixed that and tracked that. Oh, interesting. And it's such a cracked out <laughs> mix in such a great way. You know, yeah, the yeah. guitars are loud, the kick drums. You know, so cool. Cowboy was a real interesting mm-hmm. character, obviously, mm-hmm. but like also like fearless. Yeah, in the yeah. studio, I think if you learned something from Sam, he learned that. <laughs> he might have learned sure. that. <laughs> I got, I really got to know him 
well over the years, and that yeah. was that he was just an amazing person. Yeah, I just I just found I never met him. I would, as people used to say, just go by his house. You could, yeah, you just <laughs> you knock. Could I guess? I would, yeah, I thought that seemed crazy. No, he'd be happy to show you around. And... Oh man, Those things you miss sometimes. <laughs> you know, didn't get a chance to interview like Willie Mitchell. You just yeah. think of all those things. You're yeah, like, damn it, damn it. But you know, you're lucky when you get to do the good stuff. Um, so, so how did you guys, How did you and Jeff end up landing at Sam Phillips Recording? Well, Jeff, Jeff's obviously been independent for, gosh, I don't know how many years now. Yeah. And I went independent, and so, you know, I, we're 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 kind of based out of Phillips, and and how it came to be was Roland James was the great, you know, engineer here, and I, I used to him. come visit yeah. him a lot, and loved love Roland. And the Phillips family still owns the place, and I've always been close with the Phillips family. And when Roland passed away, there's a kind of lull of what they're going to do. And I, you know, I voiced um, Jerry and Jerry, who's Sam's son, and Hallie, who's Jerry's daughter, who right. very much wants to keep on the legacy. That I would love to do some recordings out of here, and I need a place to put all my gear and to kind of base myself out of. Yeah. And Jeff was getting into vinyl cutting. And it left Ardent, and he had just bought a lathe and needed to put a lathe somewhere. And so I wanted, you know, I didn't want to do Phillips if they were going to just be doing a bunch of tours, you know, like Sun or something. Yeah, so yeah. when they said they want to keep it just a studio and they want to make it right and put, you know, do whatever they need to do, keep it going. Yeah. Which means a lot to me because you don't want to go in a place that they're not really, you know, putting the money back into the building. Right. Um, and you've seen once you've seen it now, you've seen yeah. it before. It's just an amazing place, and it it's sounds incredible. Architecturally, just walking yeah. up to the damn place. I mean, he spent money on architects yeah. and, and built construction. And yeah, this isn't you know. It's a like, lot of studios are retrofitted. Yeah, and a lot of studios that were built from the ground up are not very interesting to look at. Yeah. And this is a rare thing. But he made sure it caught your eye. And, oh man, yeah. And um, it's Jeff and I did a, a session here, and it, we we both said, "Man, this place has a sound." Right. And this is before the chambers and the plates. It was just the, <laughs> on the floor. It had a yeah. sound. And uh, of course, I'm a big Sam Phillips freak. And weirdly enough, it worked out. Numerology. I'm not a numerology guy, but I was at Sun for basically the same amount of time that he was at Phil a uh, Sun, and he moved to Phillips, and I moved to Phillips. It's really weird. <laughs> but um, weird. But. Um, I can't. So I've I met Phil, and we became friends. And I said I'd like to do some stuff out of here, and I've got a lot of equipment. And can I? Would you be interested? In, you know, we kind of mutually wanted to to connect with each yeah. other in a sense. And, and so, and then I kind of helped pull Jeff in to cut vinyl. Yeah. And so they don't really have a house engineer. Right. Um, and and uh, Jeff and I are kind of just based out of here, and but we bring most of the projects in. Yeah. And stuff, and uh, it's just been a wonderful. Uh, it just feels like family here, and yeah. it's a real tight knit group, and it's and it's very private, and yeah. it's just real nice. But it's great too because I can go to Nashville and do something at RCA with Dave, or right. I love doing stuff with Boo at Royal. So we've right. done a lot of stuff together. That's so fun. I like I like yeah. now being able just to do whatever the project needs. Uh, right. If it needs to be done at Arden or Royal or something, right. we'll do it there. And yeah. but but um, pretty much everything is perfect right here to do. <laughs> yeah i mean it's a lot of work though you know, yeah a lot of fixing up gear and yeah which luckily i don't up. have to deal with too much of that i'm just yeah. paying up to try and keep my stuff going but yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know and the phelps family's here every day so like you're cutting right. and then jerry phelps comes in and goes man i don't mean to produce but uh <laughs> what if the whirly started that song and he goes shit 
That's a great idea. Hey, what does the world say? So it's been... And how, how is their involvement? Are they really here to kind of help manage and get things Jer- together? Jerry and Hallie and them are... Yeah. They're great music fans, and they feel yeah. like they want to to host. So like when you when you bring yeah. an album in, they'll drive down from Alabama yeah. and hang out. They probably lose money on the hotel rooms, you know, versus man, what the studio's they don't game. even live in town, man. No, but yeah. they come in to, to like introduce themselves to artists and welcome into the studio oh, wow. and take That's them out really... to dinner and so it's yeah. I think it's it's mind blowing for the artist to be treated like that because usually yeah. you know it's like we need to charge you for those you drank like twenty bottles of water and then we need to charge yeah, it. or the cd it, it's ten dollars for a blank cd yeah, or something that and that's none of that's here it's like yeah. hey can i take you out to dinner and yeah so it's just been a it's that that's amazing too and hallie's starting to produce so i gathered that yeah man, so that's really cool she's produced about two or three projects now and she's done great so wow is she engineering as well or just no like she I, I there's been yeah a couple yeah. of us engineering but she wants yeah. to get into that too so man that's cool i know i met her and i i she's like wow oh, love love the magazine we're so excited that you're here and i'm like oh, oh she's just someone just told her to we be have nice. a great waiter Thank too you. by the way yeah i like, <laughs> I like this uh, jp jp oh thank you beautiful well cheers mr cheers. crane thank you uh, it kind of feels appropriate to be having a drink in here yeah it does so what sessions have happened in this space now since since kind of moving in so to speak we've been i've been mixing a lot of elvis in here which is funny i heard about and, that um, is it stuff from graceland sessions or something? yeah so the first thing i did was uh he and he got tired of recording at uh nashville right and so he demanded that they record him at home so and he yeah. had done the record at american obviously right that one, and, that's a cool record. and that's a great record and so felton then bought a bread truck turned it into a mobile rig no drove way. down to memphis it promptly broke down in jackson they towed it to graceland <laughs> where it stayed till after elvis died oh my god and we've been trying to find pictures we've seen one picture on the outside but we're trying to find pictures of the inside of the truck I've never even heard about but this truck they recorded a bunch of di- excuse me a bunch of dates in uh, the in Jungle Room, set yeah. from Jungle Room, and so I mixed a lot of that, and uh, they put out the original masters, and just two was all my mixes of the unreleased stuff, wow. and it was incredible stuff. And now they've got me doing some live shows and some rehearsals from the live shows. So wow, it's been amazing. Is that pretty wild to hear that voice? It's uh, it is pretty nuts. Like you know, sometimes you mute the vocal and you work on the track for a while, and it's kind of like a '70s disco thing that could be qualified, you know, <laughs> like. Like what's this? And what are people coming and laugh? And then you want to meet the vocal, and there's button like, oh, oh, wow, you know, or something. That voice. And it's Burton, you know. And when I was yeah. mixing, they brought the guys down. So James Burton and yeah. Ronnie Tut and oh, Ronnie Laura Tut. Putnam and them were there. Tut's such a good drummer. It's incredible. I mean, he really like he had double kick drum and yeah, all these things that he's you know, showy. And you watch the videos, yeah. you know, he's he's really like. I mean, he's, he's like animal on the yeah, drums. Totally. It's, it's insane, and uh, so that's been a lot of fun to mix. And oh, um, and then um, I've I've produced a couple artists. This great artist Sean Rowe, I'm really excited about. Um, I heard that's a really wild. Record. I'll, I'll play something. Yeah. It's uh, it's amazing, and, and this great artist from Nashville, Patrick Sweeney. Mm. We did a record in like five days. That I know him. You'll love. Yeah. This is a whole new record for him. It's like '70s country funk. It's not like blues shouty. Oh, really? I'll, I'll give you a sneak of that too. And then this great artist, Emily Barker, who's from England, came. And we made yeah. this kind of amazing, uh, um, I want to do like a Burt Bacharach, like a, a classy mm-hmm. sounded record. So yeah. Powell, Jeff Powell engineered it. And we, um, Jeff and I talked about, we put all the pre's in the room. Because mm-hmm. I've done a couple of times where I put the pre in the room and run a short cable and skip everything. And it just sounds more hi-fi to me. 
So are you are you running through old wiring in the old studio? Well, the too? wiring here is really great, but you know the yeah. room's big, and then yeah, you're going. Long. And one day I just thought about one night. I, I and Jim Jim Dickinson said talked about once about how much stuff it goes through now because of the patch bay and the mm-hmm. console and digital and all these things. Yeah. So I was thinking about and we cut everything to tape. I usually cut everything to tape first, but and then dump it. But we put the pre's in the room. We ran ten foot cables to all the mics. We were, and we went straight from the back of the pre's into the tape machine. So we wow. skipped the patch bay completely. Right. Yeah. Because if you think about, when you think about every connection and every insertion and stuff, it's quite a lot of, of, of cable. And, and Hey, and, and it sounded great here. It would have sounded really good if I had done all that too, but we just wanted yeah. to get nerdy and stuff. And we got good yeah. at sign language. You know, <laughs> one, this doesn't mean up. This means good. This doesn't mean three, you know, so... Um, but I think that record came out really amazing, and we did a lot of strings on all these records. We had string a whole quartet. Is in Emily's here, record so. out? No, it's um, they're kind of shopping it right now. Yeah. But um, so we've we've all done that just in the past few months. Right. And then um, Jeff did uh, Saint Paul and the Broken Bones, some overdubs in there, and right. uh, I'm doing Margot's record uh, next. We're doing her next record in about couple weeks in here oh cool and um it's an awesome progression for her too, yeah yeah we're going from a record that's tracked son to the one that was on I, we're making country records in memphis which i love you know there's <laughs> yeah. something about that, that well it's, it's I, I don't know if her topics will be quite the same in the next record but she's she's got a little bit of backlash towards nashville anyway yeah well there will be something they may maybe might be government related now or something but luckily she's always i've heard some of the demos and one of them is just incredible they booked two hours i think after like it was south by southwest i just yeah. got this call margo price hey we want to come record and i didn't bother check i don't like checking people out a lot of times before they come because i want to be surprised and i want to mm-hmm. go off my first impression yeah i don't like listening to people's previous albums because you may hear all these things that you feel like you have to do, which you don't, because right. they're coming to you to do something different. Right. So, you know, like, don't listen to a record and hear it's all auto-tuned and really precise drums and click tracks and stuff, because they, they're coming to you for a reason, they're coming to that place yeah. for a reason. So there was just a name on the calendar, you know, and they came in, and we did it to my one-inch eight-track, and we just did one song, it was two hours, we started at like 11 o'clock at night, because yeah. that's the only thing they could do, and the song was great. And I was blown away by her and the players. So just the drummer in, in a little room like that, you yeah. know, no isolation. The drummer is kind of just as important as the vocalist yeah, or anybody yeah. really is. So, um, and we just didn't get it. And I almost just wanted, I, you know, I didn't just give it to him the night for free or something because you know when you're cutting and you feel it's not your fault. It's, right, it's not right. necessarily their fault. It's yeah. just the thing. But I remember I just I pulled them aside and said, I I I think you're incredible. And, yeah. you know, you guys have been, you know, driving all day or whatever. You know, it's hard to yeah. be creative after a South by Southwest run and then all those, those are things. Exhausting. But I said, <laughs> you you guys are just incredible, and I'd love to work with you again, and I'll yeah. do whatever we need to do to, to work with you again. And and they left, and we kind of kept in touch now and then. And she called, it wasn't too much later. She called and wanted to book three days, and we did, uh-huh. and they came down, we did the record. But I told her later, I said, I'm not Sam Phillips. I'll never be Sam Phillips. But I felt like, that was the first time at Sun that I felt what it was like to be Sam Phillips because when it was him, Carl Perkins just came to the door. Johnny Cash just knocked on the door. And it was like this raw talent that no one had ever. Yeah. And she just came and went down, and I was just blown away by them and her songs yeah. and the voice and yeah and stuff. So I, I just felt like that must have what Sam felt like when Jerry Lee or one of those cats had come yeah. to the door. Yeah, like, whoa, like, this is I, a rare gem. I got to work with you. Like <laughs> You're the real deal. So. Yeah. 
yeah, I just yeah. begged him to like, please come back. Yeah. And, and I, you know, they worked a lot of places in Nashville, but they, when it was time to make the record, they called back and came down and we did the record in three days. And <laughs> after I, six. And I, yeah, after six. And I didn't know at the time, but the, I mean, she pawned her wedding ring and they sold their car to, to make the record. And, and wow. I told her, you know, later I said, if I had known that, we would have done an IOU or something, girl, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, but yeah, I mean, I think that lends to the album the urgency of like we got to make this record. We don't have any, you know, we just blew the, yeah. our money to do it and stuff. So. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe God, you know, put it on the line. Yeah, the record is so real. Yeah, you know, this went it went crazy, right? I mean, it, did it go into the charts? Yeah, it was top hard? ten country charts, and she was the first. I forget the thing, but she broke the record like first girl that wasn't on the hot charts or fifty two chart or whatever it is. The first girl, uh, female artist to. Uh, to break the top ten country record without a, you know, all that other stuff. So, without like a major and stuff. Yeah, and, and not having usually you're on the like a singles out or something right oh, first. Right, so you're right. on the oh, on the right, fifty two, sure. and she didn't have any of that. I knew we made something amazing, and um, we mixed it in three. We tracked it in three days. We mixed it in three days, and then we, you know, everyone turned it down, and then Jack White and them heard, and they put it out just like it was. And, yeah. And I think that was a great fit for her, you know. Mm -hmm. But she's such a great voice, and she tours and. She puts on a great show. She yeah. never complains. I mean, it's just yeah. uh, just a true uh, wow. kind of soldier of, yeah. uh, of music, really. But in this time and age, to have a, a female singer like that with, with things to say and like yeah. uh, her own voice and her own yeah. Like I said, I've always been known as like the Sun Studio guy, and you know he does the rockabilly or the old sounding records. Sure. And with Margot's record, I don't feel like it sounds old. I feel like it. It's, yeah. It sounds kind of... I try to make things sound timeless. Like they I don't, think so, too. You know, like the kick drum doesn't go tap, tap like a new record. Yeah. But it doesn't, it's not missing like an old record. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's it, kind of, what, it kind of bumps a little. Yeah. Uh, more like an old funk record, even. That's the old Elvis, uh, yeah, Elvis mic. Oh, man, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, it even feels like a little like um, Bobby Gentry or something yeah, like that slightly, yeah. but then not at all. Yeah. And then it's just, yeah, when it's just retro, you, you're probably missing something. Yeah, yeah. But missing potential. Yeah. I don't know. Like when they're tracking, and you know this too, like you don't, I'm not thinking like I need this to be, like, you know, you can <laughs> you can reference a song or something, but really it's just you're moving the phase, you're going. Yeah. And then I'll add like a delay or plates to things as I go and distortion to things. Yeah. But then I don't, I'm not thinking about it too much and, and it's, I just want things to sound good, and I want things to sound yeah. interesting. And I happen to love all these old records yeah. and all these old sounds. And I'm in an old room, and I've got old mics, so I think it <laughs> it ties in that. But there's no yeah. like this needs to sound like 1956 or something. It just sounds just needs to sound like her. Yeah, you know. And, I mean, uh, if you're trying to imitate stuff, you're probably gonna fail. Yeah, and by that time you, know? you missed the take, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes we, we plan, we, we kind of accidentally erase the um, vocabulary of sound. You I know? do, I do, I agree. You know, you gotta be a little careful. Like, don't, don't throw everything out, mm -hmm. but don't be afraid of the new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you hear, when you hear, I'll take you there by the staple singers. Like mm -hmm. when I hear that, it doesn't sound yeah. old to me. It sounds hi-fi and punchy. Yeah, it and, really does. And it doesn't sound like I. If you put. To me, I, I don't know if I would have said it was cut in 1970, you know, 68 or 66 yeah. or something. Yeah. And some of those Buddy Holly things sound so yeah. hi-fi. Yeah. And then you hear something concursely like a, a Bruce Springsteen to me. A lot of stuff sounds so dated. And a lot of stuff from the 90s sounds so yeah, dated. Yeah. That to me, it can af affect the song. Where I So I, I try yeah. and 
you know, you can hint at stuff, you can do things, but, you know, like, some of those songs just transcend time. So a lot of the right. Beatles stuff transcends a decade, but some things yeah. are so, like the Mumford and Sons stomp and clap thing. That's, God, so man. there's things like that, you know, that I, that I, I don't think I'll ever do because I feel like those are too... Overcompressed drums? Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> Country music today is all 80s drums. I don't get it, Larry. It's, it's strange. It's so weird. Well, you know... If you think about this, what's when you like, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. If I, if I explain this right, <laughs> um, if you think about this, where you're trying to get everything to be right on the edge of the speaker and really slamming mm-hmm. and, and taking up that space, and you're trying to max out the or minimize the dynamic range, and he, then it's like a fight. The mix, the mixing process is like a, a fight yeah. of, of all the frequencies and and, and uh, transients and yeah. all these things and. And then that leads you down this sort of path where you make, I think, recordings come out sounding very um, homogenized in general because they're they're all trying to make this sort of same thing happen that's sort of unreal. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously, records are fantasy anyway. Yeah, they are. And that's what I love about, like, the... And that's why Sam said he wanted to come up with the slap echo, you know, because... He said, well, none of us listen to just pure music. We hear it echoing in a restaurant or something, yeah. so we try to do it. Oh, and so <laughs> when you hear Blue Moon, that's one of my favorite sun cuts that never came out. Yeah. That slow, that seven and a half hips delay makes your yeah. neck hair stand up. But yeah. um, but it adds to the song, and the song's so empty otherwise. When when I did the, the Emily Barker record that Jeff engineered for me, we tracked it to tape. It sounds incredible. We dumped it into Radar, our Pro Tools, and we did a couple little overdubs, shaker here, something like that, yeah. strings. And then it came time to mix. And I always save the mix as it's going while we're doing because it, it always that's when it feels the best. Yeah. You know? And I took it to another studio because at that time, uh, things weren't in here ready to mix yet. And so I took it to Ward Archers. They have a big API. Beautiful. Automation. API legacy. Because I, yeah. I don't really EQ. I don't really compress. I just like to ride things to make them sit. Yeah. And, uh, but we tracked the whole band live in that room together, and I got there, and they didn't really need any automation because they had played to each other. And yeah. oh, I, sh- I should mention the headphones here. There's no volume knob. There's no more me. It's everyone gets the same stereo <laughs> sin, and it's what I'm hearing is what you get. And um, I love that. You're the opposite of me. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but um, but it makes you play like you don't have headphones on. Yeah, yeah. And um, if you've got good players, if you don't have good players, it could be in that manner. But exactly. but I brought it up and I started you know I I brought all the put all the fairs at zero and I start building the mix on the API and I patch in a little thing here or there and I go this doesn't feel right and I'm in, of course I'm in a new environment and stuff yeah. but I said and we've got we've got three days to mix the whole record I go I'm, I say the artist it's not feeling right to me I want to try something so I drove back to Phillips I grabbed my radar I brought it back we came out one two of the Pro Tools into external yeah. and I. Flipped the rough mix with just the faders set on Pro Tools yeah. and, and I versus the mix on the API, and it felt incredible coming out one two of the radar. And there could be a multiple thousand reasons why, but yeah. Jeff Powell tracked it so good, it didn't need anything more. It just needed to be <laughs> a solo up here, a vocal up right, here. Right. So all I did was I wrote all those things and we print them as we went. We print as we went, and it beat because it didn't need anything more. And I felt like the the biggest thing I've learned this year is to know when things don't need anything more, don't need to be right. touched. Right. You can compress stuff. You can put that parallel compressor on and make the vocal blah, blah, blah. But the times when it trails off and you have, he pulls you into the mix, you got to, right. what did he say? And you kind of right. play the next thing and then it pops big. And yeah. So I've been like this, 
this Patrick Sweeney record I'll play you. Yeah. We tracked it to tape, and I was riding the faders as I go and committing. I always commit, you know, and I go. And we played it back, and I go, that's done. I'm going to save it just like this. We'll come back in three days if I, you yeah. know, I'll mix the rest of the record. And if yeah. I find some trick that, you know, works, I'll yeah. do it. But it ended up, we just left it as how they <laughs> performed it. And it feels amazing to me, and it, wow. and it moves. And if I feel like if I sat there and tried yeah. to EQ things and stuff, it would it would become more he's, safe. And, he's such a, he's a great example of someone who gigs a lot. Yeah. And and he's just got a voice, got control over his voice. Mm -hmm. He's got a voice. Fuck, what else do you need? He's got the most amazing <laughs> voice. And to me, uh, Sam Phillips, you know, he loved Howlin' Wolf. Howlin' Wolf said that was his greatest discovery ever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when Jerry and Knox, one of my favorite yeah. stories is they're producing John Prine in here, Pink right. Cadillac record. And they have in trouble with a song, the song called Saigon. They call Sam at home, who's kind of been retired, and they yeah. go, Sam, you would love this guy. He's got the worst voice you've ever heard. Because <laughs> Sam just loves unique voices. <laughs> and what I love I'm about <laughs> Patrick is, and on this record yeah. you'll hear Patrick, Patrick does a lot of the blues and the holler and stuff. Mm -hmm. But we got him to sing quiet on this record. And it's almost like wow. William Bell or something. I mean, he has this, the most amazing emotive voice. Yeah, yeah. And when he sings softly, all these other things come through. And, and uh, then yeah. when he shouts, and then the thing is, like when I was telling him is, when you shout and holler, it's amazing. When you do that for eight songs, it something goes. But when you sing quiet for two, and then you holler again, like yeah, or halfway through yeah, you holler, yeah. something. It's like whoa, boy. Yeah, yeah. So intense. Yeah, it just dramatic it grabs change. you. So yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's we cool. we have fun. So yeah, he's 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 a funny guy. What other what other things? What do you see in the future here? Working out of here and working on other places. Well, you? I think you know the. They're going to keep updating, you know, some of the gear needs to be fixed, and we're going to get a little B room going where I'm going to keep some stuff in there. Right. And you're talking about making the B room like kind of maybe a, a kind of like limited, like all one room facility. Yeah. And then limited, maybe limited tracks or some retro kind of gear. I think, well, I think fun. I'll have like, it'd be cool to have, they have a one inch eight track and to keep yeah. it set in there. But, I, you know, I, I think limitations are good, but at the same time, I okay. found that nothing ever works twice. The minute the minute we tracked like this Emily Barker record, we tracked it with the session guys, and we did it all live. And we yeah. we don't learn the songs beforehand. They come in, we sit in there, we all learn together. We figure out yeah. the groove, the lick, we go. And the next artist I did, which was literally like three weeks later, was this great artist Sean Rowe, and I had this almost the same session guys, and we're all kind of riding high off this incredible record we just made, like yeah. live in four days. Like we got this. This is you yeah. know, like this is what we do. <laughs> and we get in there, and Sean is one of those guys that has his own unique timing. He doesn't often play with a band, so he purposefully speeds up and slows down within the song to fit the lyric. Oh yeah. And so we got in there, tried to do it all live, and he's the drummer's trying to keep him in time. And it wasn't happening, and yeah. we quickly had like a oh shit. And then yeah. I sent everybody home, but the drummer who happened to be King Coomer, who's amazing. Oh yeah. And we just did like Sean acoustic guitar and vocal, you know. And I'm alive, want to get everybody live guy, but that didn't call, it wasn't called for for this for most of this record. Yeah. So Sean ended up playing acoustic vocal. We got the take, and then Kim would go and overdub drums. Wow. And it worked out amazing because he's not playing like straight drums. He's doing these weird drum moments, and there's moments where yeah. we just like slam the door to the chamber and that's the that's the snare on the record or something and, and we, we didn't have time to think i just knew it wasn't working with the band send the band home guys come back tomorrow you yeah. know thank you thank you we'll, we'll, we're gonna get there and and we yeah. did it like this and it <laughs> it couldn't have come out better like yeah. it, it would any other way it would not have been as great as it and now it's this amazing record so yeah. 
I, that's why I'm never too attached to a lot of things in the studio because the thing you use that one time, it never, for me, it never works the next time. <laughs> the, the time, yeah. you know, then you find some, but that's also what's fun about it. Yeah. So for me, um, I don't, the future, I, I, I want to do more producing. I'm, I'm wanting to do more, I always want to engineer. Yeah. And I love working here and I love the different ways I can work in here and change it up. You know, there's so many ways to do a record in here. Um, and then when the B room's going, that'll be more fun to try and figure out how to make a record work in that little room. Oh, and, yeah. and then there's always Royal, there's always Nashville, there's always places to go. But I love changing it up every yeah. time because it just, the minute you, you think that thing's going to work for you, it never, it, it never <laughs> does. It doesn't work sometimes day to day, you know, it just, yeah. it, and I think part of it's in me too. I, I, I got a little self-conscious because I was, I'd produced these three records in a row and I wanted strings on all of them and I, and I had the same players and stuff. And, uh, so the first two we did these amazing strings and then the third record I called the string arranger, this great guy, Sam Shoop. And I go, Sam, and this is Patrick's records, the third record. Yeah. I say, I want strings on this, but I don't want to be doing the same thing every time. So I'll, I may not use the same bass player every time or the same. I'll switch one person up or something. Right, and, right. But it's all for what I think is best. I said, I want you to do strings on this, but I'm going to make you do it all on the Mellotron. <laughs> so he came in and he arranged it and then he had to wow. play all the parts in the melody. Oh my god. And of course it's not a full octave, so he can't right. get up high. So then we would have to go to a flute or a celeste or something, you know. Yeah. And it in Patrick's records like really cool sounding now because it's strings but it's a Mellotron and they're weirder wow. sounds. So, so <laughs> I think there's always good the limitations are yeah. good to do. So I didn't yeah. remember the question, but that's no, what that's you get. Good. I like that. <laughs> Would you feel there's certain things that you just gravitate towards as an engineer that that are unique to you? Because I feel like when I hear stuff you work on, but I, I don't yeah, know how to describe. It. I don't know what you. I doing. don't know what you. I I know what you mean. I I um, I don't do a lot of processing. Yeah. I don't do a lot of the cue. I don't do. I think what I do to me is probably pretty boring because I go and do. <laughs> I watch Vance and Andrew Sheps and these guys do things and go. I never thought about it like that. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. Andrew Sheps, one of my favorite moments was when we did Potluck, mm-hmm. um, the one of the last years or something. We Andrew and I were at the Nearest room, which of course none of the kids wanted to go to the Nearest <laughs> room. You know, they wanted to go <laughs> in the River and Eve room or something. Yeah, and, yeah. And they had a I'm. He, I have Andrew won't mind me telling this one, but they had an ice machine for like snow cones. Yeah. But we just put absinthe in them. And uh, Michael <laughs> Romanowski gave us absinthe. Nice. And we sat in, Thank I you, said, Michael. I know you got something you want to play me, Andrew. I want to hear something you like, you're excited about, because he's yeah. got his own little label. Yeah. And he played me this record by this band he put out called Low Roar. Yeah. And the record's called O. Oh. And we sat in just chairs in a hotel room with J, you know, little JBLs on demo. And we sat there and we listen to it all from front to back and it's one of those records you got to hear front to back mm-hmm. and slowly but surely kids would pop in and they would come in talking loud like yeah bro i, I love that rip-. and they'd shut up because they would see andrew sheps there and yeah. we're listening intently and the, by the end of the record we had like 80 people crane this little trim sitting transfixed by this record wow. and every time something cool would happen i'd nudge him and he would be kind of a proud you know when you're playing your mix for something you're kind yeah, of a proud yeah, papa yeah and it was just incredible and wow. I heard things on that record I've never heard before. He does spatial things that go around your head, and yeah. you know stuff like Chad Blake does. And yeah. so I feel like I'm kind of boring, in a sense. But then Andrew <laughs> writes me and compliments me, and you compliment me on yeah. things. But you know, I love um, real. I'm pretty minimal on stuff, and yeah. uh, um, 
I, I do love, you know, I've never really cared too much for Neve 1073s. A lot of the things that people really love, I, I've i seen Vance and Daryl Thorpe and all these people make 1073s sound amazing. And I know it's not the pre, it's yeah. them. They just yeah. click it on. But every time I do them, I feel like they're tubby and the EQs, this sounds hard to me. Yeah. And it might be because I'm never, nowadays we don't get to work on a big Neve console. They're they're probably poorly racked in a thing or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> it could be. But, and it could be all course things. But, Bad Transformers. Um, I, a lot of the old Memphis studios classically use Spectrosonic stuff, yeah. Stacks and yeah. and um, American had one for a short time and and the, uh, and the Autotronics consoles yeah. that were being built here were being built with yeah a origi- lot of originally Autotronics parts. was building they basically were Spectrosonics parts yeah. just rebranded Autotronics but apparently the guy was Walton <laughs> Dutton he started building them out the back door yeah and so Spectrosonics quit sending him stuff and then he modified and that's when he got those later seventies yeah non-discrete ones but. Since I'm such a Memphis freak, I, I'm I'm totally obsessed with all kinds of music, but especially Memphis history and Memphis yeah. studios. I found um, the, auto, the same Autotronic. It was it was one of five made by Autotronics in '69. Stax bought one of them. Ardent bought one of them. Yeah. And this is like the third one. And I found it in Canada. Some guy in Canada had. It. I just happened to see it at the right time. Wow. And I bought it from him, and I got it back. And then I've just recently got the Ardent one. <laughs> but I've I've made them where I can take them around, and I think the Spectrosonic stuff is. It's one of the few things that I've heard where I feel like I hear the kick drum in the room or the something transient or something, and I go back in the control room and it sounds just like that. Yeah. And then it does have EQ, but like just 2B is a, 2DB is a lot. So yeah. you yeah. might do a smile thing or something <laughs> on it. And then yeah. there are just certain mics, you, you know, I like, but um, uh, I, I've always thought I hear things differently than people because half the time what I think sounds good, you know, I don't think anyone else sounds good, but mostly I just go for the feeling. I just try and find the feeling in something. Yeah, but it's a. I don't know what to tell you on that because I do. Oh, yeah. I I am very specific about gear, but at the same time I don't really care about what I'm using because, yeah. it, like I said, it doesn't work yeah. two times in a row. Right, and, right. And I'll, and I, and I'll I mean, go work. I, now I would travel so much. I don't have the luxury of always having the same. Stuff. Yeah. So it's like I. Yeah. I. So it doesn't matter to me. But the, um, I feel like it's a. It's like I'm going to a restaurant. Which we're going to do soon. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, l- looking at the menu and going, oh, that'd be fun to try. I've never been a huge U87 guy. And then mm-hmm. the there's like 12 U87s here, all from like the 60s or 70s. Wow. And I think, you Weird. know, back then, we don't think about this now, but back then, like RCA and those places, they would order like I'm sure they'd order like 30 of them and listen yeah. and find the sweet ones and then send the other oh, ones man. back because yeah. that's what they had to have done. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so all the UA7s here sound incredible, and it's probably because they got 60 years of spit and dust on them, you know. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I was using that for a while, and then I got I did that for two records, and I got bored with that. Not that it didn't sound good, but then I used the old dynamic. On Patrick's record, we used mostly dynamics, and it just yeah. sounded fun. And I think it's just like you, when you're excited every day, about doing something and you want to find new sounds and stuff yeah um it's fun to try different things as long as it doesn't get in the way it never gets in the way of um like i'm not a big yeah. on i don't like to try a different pre on everything i like kind of uniform pre's or something like that to me is yeah. phase shift and all these other issues but mics are fun to you can swap out a mic rather quick but if the artist is ready to go yeah we're not swapping out anything yeah, it's, yeah. it's go time but right you know 
you can always save a great performance no matter what. Yeah, yeah. You know, unless you didn't and record the, it all. And if the performance <laughs> is great, who cares what the fucking kick drum sounds like? You know, you're yeah. listening to the vocal, you're listening to all these other oh, yeah. aspects There's of it. So, yeah, so. Cool. Well, well thank you, Larry. <laughs> thank you, man. Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapebop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. <laughs>